When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week's show features prolific pop artist Richard X. Heyman. He started with the fabled raucous New Jersey garage band The Doughboys, moved to drumming for artists like Brian Wilson and Link Ray, and then started writing his own music. He's got a DIY approach to writing and recording and releasing. He's been doing it since 1988, and it turns out he has nothing to do with Smokey Robinson. That'll make more sense in a few minutes. Check out his new album, Pop Circles. Follow him on, on social media. And give us a follow, too, at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. And get some merch at www.performanceanx.threadless.com. Here's New Jersey's own Richard X. Heyman. This is Richard X. Heyman, and I'm on Performance Anxiety. Sounds good to me. Awesome, awesome. Well, again, I do appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for spending some time with me tonight. My pleasure. All right. Um, okay, got the right notes. I normally only record like once a week, but this week I, I had two guests, and I just grabbed the wrong set of pages. So oh. got the right ones now. Ah, ask me those questions. <laughs> okay. Let's see so, how I do with those. Okay, so when you had your first two heart attacks and, and seizure in 2005. <laughs> I remember it well. In doing research, your story isn't nearly as insane as that. Fortunately, because I wouldn't want those stories wished upon anybody. No, that's terrible. So, but you've been, you've been creating music for a long time. Um, and you play a, a quite a the variety of instruments. You play, let's see, I've got the drums, the bass, bongos, guitar, harmonium, harpsichord, marimba, mellotron, organ, piano, shakers, tablas, tambourines, timpanis, vibraphone, xylophone, and vocals. So out of all of those, which one came first? The drums. Okay. And when did you start yeah, playing drums? I instinctively knew that I should play the drums. I don't know why, but I just pestered my parents when I was about five years old. Get me a drum set. Get me a drum set. And, of course, they were about to go out and spend money on a drum set for a five-year-old. So. <laughs> First, I got one of those little drum sets made out of kind of cardboard that they used to sell for kids. Yeah. You'd break through the head, like, in the first day. And then they got me a snare drum, like a cheap snare drum, and bongos and different percussion instruments, and then a set of timbales for some reason. And then when I was seven years old, they bought a set of Kent drum set, a set of Kent drums. So that okay. started, I was about seven and uh, sat down and I just started playing kind of a Gene Krupa style solo oh, as wow. soon as I sat down. It was just in my blood. So you were writing songs pretty early then. Well, the songwriting came later. I was playing drums exclusively throughout my childhood into my 
mid-teens, really. And then I started kind of banging around on pianos because I had heard that a piano is a percussion instrument. I thought, oh, okay, I'm a percussionist. I should learn the piano. So got into the piano for a while. And then later, in my later teens, I started fooling around on guitar. And that was most difficult for me. Oh, okay. And this is all happening in Plainfield, New Jersey, right? Yes. Um, I used Central to, Jersey. Yeah, I used to work in Plainfield. Really? Yes, sir. At, uh, for Photo Studio, Normandy Studios. Oh, yeah. Right, wow. on, right on the main drag, right up towards 22. Yeah, on Somerset Street or Front Street? Uh, I think it was Front Street. I've yeah. Got, I, it's, uh, it's been what so long now. That was the main drag in town. Yeah, yeah. I th- I'm pretty sure that was it because I remember having to park in behind the studio and uh, I had gotten, somebody had hit the car that I was using it and I had to get a, buy a cheap replacement and for, until I could get it fixed because I'm, sh- I'm not exactly sure how I can get rear-ended behind my rear door, my rear quarter panel, and it's, somehow it's my fault. But anyway, <laughs> the I had to, while that was getting replaced on my own dime i had to go and buy a cheap replacement car and i this was like 1994 95 i guess and i ended up buying a 700 hundred dollar dodge aspen 1978 dodge aspen and as i pulled into the studio parking lot in plainfield the uh the the shackle for the rear leaf spring and the differential rusted through and the whole car just crashed into the ground Oh my gosh! <laughs> and I had, and I had to, I couldn't move it. The, I, I I thought the wheel had fallen off, so I got out of the car and looked around, and it it wasn't <laughs> off, but the wheel was shoved up into the wheel well into the trunk, and I looked, and the leaf spring was just sitting there on the ground, and I said, "Oh man!" But I was blocking the entire entrance to the parking lot, so I said, "Oh shit, I got to get this out of here." So I just ended up starting the car up and 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 flooring it, and just dragging the car into a parking spot, and you could see this like inch deep gash going from the concrete entryway all the way through the asphalt garage into my spot. Wow, still there to this day. It, yeah, it absolutely is. So uh, so when, when uh, I'm listening to the songs on your new album and all like songs like Route 22, it's, it's, for me, it's great because it's, it's bringing me back to where I grew up. And uh, I live in Virginia now, but I spent 13, 14 years in central Jersey and uh, went to school there and, and just some of the best memories of my life were there. So I love yeah, hearing music about that area. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. So, so you, you grew up in that area as well. Um, and then you, that's when you attending high school in that area, you, you hooked up with a, a band called the Doughboys. Yeah. The Doughboys was the first band that I was in actually. And, uh, it was, uh, kind of a garage rock band as they called it back then. And, we did a lot of kind of more raucous R&B style, old, old R&B, not like today's R&B. Right, right. Kind of rock. And uh, I was exclusively the drummer. You know, I didn't even think about songwriting or singing or anything like that. Just slowly evolved that I kind of attempted to try those things. So you, now did you try that at all in the Doughboys or were you for the entire... Uh, time in that band you were just the drummer i was just the drummer i actually wrote two songs very early it was an anomaly because then i didn't write again for a while but 
so I wrote a couple songs for them, which we did. And I started to sing harmony against the lead singer, like Scabone. Okay. And we had a, a nice blend together. So that was encouraging. And I just picked it up from listening to all the music that I heard on the radio. That's basically how you learn rock and roll is just by listening. Yeah, yeah. And it, now this was taking place in like the latter half of the 60s? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, so... The golden age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, most some of the most beautiful, amazing music ever was written in that period. I know. It was amazing. And, and you took it for granted. And now looking back, you had the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks and the Who and the Birds and Love and Spoonful and the, wow. all the Motown stuff and Wilson Pickett and James Brown. You know, you go on and on. It's just, oh, I love, I love Wilson Pickett. I'm a huge Wilson yeah, Pickett. Yeah, oh, me too. Um, and Sam Cooke. I mean, you oh, got yeah. just, you know, in and day, all day long on AM radio, you'd hear all of that. Plus, they'd, they'd throw in some Sinatra. I mean, everything was all mixed together. And, and, and that must have been fantastic. I mean, I'm, that's the era that, in fact, my brother, to be, uh, to be honest, he's a huge throwback. He's a few years younger than me, and, and that's what he lives for. And I love it, but he lives it. He actually... Does he, he makes up his own radio shows and stuff. He works for Sirius XM, uh, oh. but more for a, a talk station than uh. Uh, than anything else. But he's he's got, I, I'd say, the most extensive collection of, of music of, of that era of, of anyone I've ever met. I mean, it's it, it's in the thousands of CDs, and it's all obscure artists from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and it's oh. unbelievable. But... That's the great thing is that some some amazing gems were written by people you you wouldn't even think about and performed oh, yeah. by bands you don't even hear. So, how did you go from being the drummer from the Doughboys to working uh, and and writing the song uh, "My Love for You"? That was uh, I guess, I guess track three on Smokey Robinson and the Miracles Tears of a Clown album. It shall endure the storms of time And you'll remember uh, That actually is, for some reason, a falsehood. Ah. I've, been, I've been asked that before, and I don't know why my name is, is connected to that, but that is not... Uh, factual. Oh man, it was on the internet, so I automatically I thought I it was know. true. Yeah, yeah. Well, it must be then. <laughs> all right, so all right, so we cleared that I, up. Know, I, I don't even, I don't know the song, but I'm, I'm a, a huge Smokey Robinson fan. <laughs> all right, so you, so then you you did end up uh, writing your first album in your first EP in '86. Right, that's correct. Now, in, in between the Doughboys and writing your first EP, was that when you were? I, I read that you were you played drums for artists like Brian Wilson, Link Ray, Jonathan Richmond, the Shangri-Las, Mary Weiss. Is that when that was occurring? Well, I was playing drums with Link Ray after that period in the seventies. Okay, some of that other drumming came later. It was co concurrent with my solo work. Okay. So what made you, what was the impetus for 
composing and and producing your first EP in 86? I had been in the Doughboys throughout the 60s, and then I tried uh, a couple other bands after that. And you know how bands tend to uh, kind of implode at a certain point. Yeah. And I, I just felt like I've had enough of this. I want to do music. How should I approach this? I was listening to uh, like some of the McCartney one man band style albums that he did. And this guy Emmett Rhodes did a, an album where he played all the instruments. Oh my gosh. Todd, yes. I know that album. <laughs> yeah. It's a great album. And Todd Rundgren was doing something similar. And I thought, I'm going to try that. I'm going to play all the instruments and just overdub like crazy and see what it sounds like. So that's how it got started with that. Like you know, experimental, and drums being my main instrument was an asset because I could lay down the drums first as my foundation and build from that. So that was kind of interesting for me. And so you had to play—I believe you played all the instruments on that first EP. Is that right? Yeah, I'm for the most part I, I play all the instruments, with a couple of exceptions. Where I'd have guests come in. Okay, and then and then that progressed into your first LP in '88. And was that the same type of process yeah. for you? Yeah, it was a continuation of the actual size EP process, which was drums first. Then I would put a scratch instrument down, then I would do all my vocals. And then I would start overdubbing guitars and keyboards and percussion instruments. And ah, okay. Ah, okay, well, that that's amazing. Do-it-yourself type of, of approach for it. But... In, in the research that I've done, it seems like that's been your whole career is just a, a DIY approach to writing and, and recording. Yeah, well, what happened was these originally started as demos for the most part, because that was the modus operandi. You do a demo and try to shop it around. And it got to the point where we just decided, why are we calling these demos? We're, we're working really hard to perfect these things. Why don't we just call them a record and put them out ourselves. So that's what we did. And we got a review in Rolling Stone magazine, which was unheard of at the time because they almost exclusively would review major label releases. So that was a big breakthrough for us. Yeah, I can imagine, especially in, in that time, because there was no internet and that was read by you know millions of people. I know it's funny because all the people that read the review and wanted to buy the album literally had to write it to us. Uh, you know, <laughs> Our home, where we had our little uh, do-it-yourself record company, and uh, we'd mail them out. 
Oh my gosh, that's cra- that's amazing. I didn't even think about that part of it. That's got to be very and daunting. Rolling Stone was the Bible of, of music publication, so it was a big deal. And it really gave us a boost. Is one of your albums, if, if I read this right, is a, a power pop opera? Uh, well, I have a, a later album called Tears and Other Stories, which yes. I yeah. kind of proclaimed as <laughs> kind of like a, a rock opera. How did that come about? Is, did it start off that way? Was that the idea from the beginning? Uh, well, I can't remember if it was. I think it might have been, but it, it, it quickly uh, was realized that that's the direction that I wanted to go in. And the songs all were telling the, the same story and just building upon one after another to complete, complete the tale. So that's how that process worked. When you tour, since you record a lot of the uh, the albums on your own and by yourself, how do you how do you put a band together? Do you, is do you do uh, auditions or do you have a set group of people that you go to and and? Uh, yeah, I, have a, I have a set group of people. My wife plays bass. She's an excellent bass player, and in fact, she's playing the majority of the bass on Pop Circles, my latest album. And uh, I have a really incredible drummer, Kurt Ryle, and a guitar player, Andy Resnick. So that, that's the core group that I use and so you, from live. Okay, so when you play live, you're usually up front with the guitar then? I switch from guitar to keyboards. Okay, okay. But you're not, you're not doing the old, uh, what the hell, why, why am I leave on helm and, and singing behind the drum kit then? Oh, uh, well... Every now and then I might do one song in the set back at the drums, <laughs> uh, just for fun. <laughs> now, how has so I, get, you know, I get that out of my system with the Doughboys because I'm still playing with the Doughboys, and I do a lot of the you know the harmony and background vocals from the drums. So it is kind of my my attempt at being Levon Helm. <laughs> now you mentioned your wife Nancy; uh, she's been a force behind you for for literally decades now is it hard to work with your spouse in, in that situation i know that the pressure can be pretty intense when you're recording and touring yeah we get a little tense yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little crazy but it, it all is for the music it all is forgiven as soon as we're, we're done with the session okay you know my wife is always talking about how ways that we can work together and like, man it's it's interesting because Nancy has her set of perfection and I have mine and they're totally different. And so we both have to okay each performance I do and hers is for totally different reasons than mine. I'm more into the feel and the rawness of things and she likes to get everything really just in tune. And so until we're both happy, we don't settle on a take, but once we both say, okay, that's good. Move on. Oh, works out well yeah i was gonna say that that would probably be a good almost like a yin and yang kind of approach to it where once if you guys can both find a good compromise and that's probably got to be the best take yeah it's definitely i mean it's it's not even a matter of compromise it's she knows what she's looking for and you know i have to be happy as well so there's a point where it's obvious okay i got it 
in tune for her. <laughs> and I like the feel of it and the performance. And, I mean, I'm simplifying this a little bit. I mean, we both obviously want it to be in, you know, as in tune as possible. But, you know, short of that, you know, we don't want to use auto-tune like uh, a lot of the new records. So. Oh, exactly. So you've been recording for 30 years on your own. Has the recording process changed a lot for you? And there's a lot more uh, availability of uh, home recording equipment available to you. Right. Yeah, when we started, it was all analog. <clears throat> so all these initial recordings were done either in a proper studio or on, say, a Tascam half-inch tape machine, things oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. And then ADATs came in. ADATs were these machines that re- used videotape to record on. Okay. So they were very popular for a while. And I did an album called Basically and Cornerstone on ADATs, which is technically digital because it's a videotape, but it's tape. So it's not like a computer today where it's all just kind of in the air, you know, (laughs) how it's working. So now we, we, we use this uh, Logic Pro system, which okay. is a good, like Pro Tools, but it's a, it's Apple's version of Pro Tools, basically. So the last several albums have been done on Logic Pro here in our bedroom, except for the drums where I do that at a studio. And speaking of changes, has has your equipment changed at all throughout the years? Do you, do you prefer vintage equipment or do you use new equipment with emulators in the computer? Do you have a preference? Well, I'm a little bit of a stickler for tube microphones, so we have a couple really nice tube mics that give it a warmth, a kind of bit of an analog feel to it. We have a tube preamp compressor that we use, a Summit preamp compressor, and I like to put the guitars through an actual guitar amp, so I use a Fender VibroChamp amp for the guitars with a Sennheiser microphone in front of it. Okay. And that for it's just I just happen to like that. You know, there's inbox stuff that sounds perfectly fine that a lot of people use, so they don't have anything but the computer. Yeah. You, know, you can make perfectly sounding albums on a laptop today if you really want to. But I'm in my bedroom with you know the amp. I have the speaker of the amp inside a wooden box that is soundproofed with a microphone in front of it, so that I can blast it without getting myself thrown out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> in an apartment. That's a good so idea. It, it cuts, yeah, it cuts down about seventy percent of the volume. Oh wow! But you still get the, the the feel of it being up and and yeah, you feel that speaker crackling. It's just nice. Now I, you, I like it. You've done your own promotion from obviously you're talking about the first EP and the first LP where people had to actually write into you to to, to get it. Have has that changed a lot for you as well uh, in the past thirty years? The way you promote your music, yeah. Well, like everything that's been affected by the internet and digital has affected the music industry, obviously, and so it's a big change, sea change. Yeah, it's really a, a whole ball game. It has its pros and cons. The the good thing is with this technology, you can make a state of the art sounding recording at home and that was impossible before all this digital equipment came about you had to go 
where there was some decent analog equipment to get the good audio sonics. Right. So that's different. And then as far as promotion and the way things are bought and sold, it's all through the internet. So, you know, it's good because an artist like myself, an independent artist, I'm out there internationally with everyone else. So people all over the world can buy what I put out. It's just a matter of getting that information to them so they know to buy it. And, you know... And hopefully they have the inclination to want to buy it. Yeah, getting it on the platforms that people are are using, like physical copies on Amazon or putting it on Spotify or iTunes. Yeah, see, I, I'm not really adept at all that. Nancy's more into the business side of running things, so she's on top of you know where the record is sold from and keeping our website up to date, all that kind of stuff. The new album, uh, Pop Circles was funded through Kickstarter. How was your yes. how was your experience with Kickstarter? It went well. We've used Kickstarter several times in the past and it works on a couple different levels. I have a core base following that supports me and they usually come through so we meet our goal and then we by hook or by crook start recruiting new people word of mouth or just through the internet. So you get people that are just kind of discovering my music now, which is always very rewarding. Yeah, like me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so that's been good. And, uh, yeah, we set a realistic goal because the way Kickstarter works is you have to reach the goal that you set originally. Right. So we set our goal at $6,000. And we we made that, and that worked out well. But that's only a small portion of the the budget. Because even though we do the bulk of the tracking at home, we still farm out to mix the album. We have a really good mixing engineer out in New Jersey that does our mixes. And that okay. has to be paid for in the pub, yeah. <laughs> PR and the manufacturing and the artwork. And it adds up. I mean, the, the 6000 was... Less than a third of our budget. Oh, wow. So, but but your experience was positive, so that's really good. I know there's a couple of, of the, uh, the the crowdfunding platforms that have just been really terrible experience for, for a lot of musicians. So I'm glad to hear Kickstarter has been good for you. Yeah, it definitely helps ease the pain, that's for sure. Because, <laughs> like I said, you know, we pay out of pocket. It's our, it's our project, and we, not, we have no complaints about that. But uh, it's just nice to have listeners contribute and it's kind of in line with the way public television and public radio operate. Yeah. yeah. Public tips to literally produce the shows. In this case, they're helping me produce this album. And, and the, the great thing is a lot of the times the, the patrons will be able to get something a little special, a little different than what they would just get if they just straight up bought the album. There's little That's true. Tears. Yeah available to them so that's that's always fun as a consumer so so yeah, i like it when it works out for everybody so yeah, that's been you seem to be doing like a, a musical version of benjamin button where as the years go by you're writing more and more instead of slowing <laughs> down you're just kind of speeding up it, it, do you ever get writer's block because I'm, i was looking at your your past few albums and where most albums have anywhere from, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 tracks. Yours have, on the average, you know, like, like 14 to 20 tracks. Yeah, you know, I feel like the longer 
that I'm around, the more stories I have to talk about. So ideas for the songs keep coming just from living, you know, being around and living life. And, you know, you harken back to things that happened, all these lost love episodes or love found, and, you know, it's just all the ups and downs of life kind of come into play. The, uh, so the new album is, is Pop Circles, and I was, I've been listening to it for the past couple of weeks, and it's great. It's, it's, you actually describe it, I believe, as a love letter to baby boomers or anyone who appreciates great rock and roll of the 60s. And you're incredibly successful in getting that feel out, which is one of the reasons oh, why... Yeah, that's one of the reasons... I appreciate that, thanks. Oh, my, my, it's, believe me, it's my pleasure. I wanted, that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about using vintage equipment because I know you, you had writ, had, had uh, recorded it at home, but you get this great vintage sound from the guitars, and, and it's, it's really successful in capturing the sound of that time period. Uh, uh, you know, I don't intentionally think about it chronologically or like the error. It's all emotions for me. I, I just try to put down what feels good that's, that moves me musically and lyrically. And I just happened to grow up in that period. So those are my major influences. So it comes out strongly like that. But it hopefully is bringing something new to the table as well. You know, I don't want to just be a copycat. I, I try to just, yeah. you know, I wear my influences on my sleeve, but I still have <laughs> a story to tell, I guess you'd say. I want to ask you about a couple of the tracks that are some of my favorites on there. Um, oh. The first one is Marlena. I, that song sounds very Jersey Shore influenced. Like, like I mean, I can almost hear like Roy Bitten playing the piano on that. Did the Jersey sound of like Springsteen and Southside Johnny was that an influence in in, in any of your music? Uh, well, on that song, I can understand where you're hearing that. Might have crept in. Um, <laughs> it's it's a very Jersey-centric song. The whole song is a, a travelogue of New Jersey. All the background vocals are mentioning towns and stops on the highway, different highways. Yeah. I mean, there must be at least, I don't know, about 10 different New Jersey towns mentioned in that song. They're all in the background vocals, though, so you have to really listen. And I talk about Route 78 is in there, Route 22 is mentioned in there. Oh, yeah. Man, that's all the highways I would have to go to for to to go to work on the uh, for that photo studio I was telling you about. <laughs> now, speaking of Route Twenty Two, that yeah, yeah. you have a song called Route Twenty Two, and that was yes, yeah, that was right off of, uh, close to my house. I would end up hitting two hundred two to twenty two, and then go up to Plainfield and Westfield to go yes. and see my cousins and and Scotch Plains. And, yeah, I know it well. <laughs> I, love the, first of all, I love the guitar solo at the end of that. that that's amazing. It's so oh, cool. Thanks. Is there a story behind Route 22?
Growing up in Plainfield, Route 22 was the highway. It was it was sort of the exit out of town to get to New York, to get out to Pennsylvania, go anywhere really. Yeah. Route 22 was the place, and it had a kind of a ominous quality about it. I remember hearing as a kid that it was. It was nicknamed the Death Highway, and I thought, oh. and, <laughs> I remember hearing that too. Yeah, and you know, my sister—I have three sisters. One of my sisters was in a terrible car accident, pulling it onto Route 22. Oh, wow. she she and her boyfriend got out uh, fairly unharmed. They were you know, had minor injuries, but the driver was killed, and it always stuck with me that that highway has a sort of. Uh, mystical quality about it. You might not reach your destination once you pull out onto that highway. So there's that. And then just growing up, being in a band, we used to travel down that highway in our VW van. So that's mentioned in the song. Oh, man. And the guitar player in the original Doughboys passed away a few years ago. And so I was kind of thinking of him while I was writing the song as well. Well, the worst car accident... I was ever in in my life was on Route 22 as well. So, oh, no, really? Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was at a stoplight. It's well, it's a crazy story. I, like I, I opened the show telling you about the the uh, car accident that I had gotten into, which caused me to buy that piece of junk that fell apart. Right. Before I bought that, I was driving my grandmother's Lincoln Town car, and I was driving it on Route 22 to go to work. And I was stopped at a stoplight, and I got nailed by a plumbing van. I was at oh, a dead stop, and he was doing 60. Oh, God. And he just... just he lived to tell us the story. Wow. Yeah, it was... Uh, they totaled the car. I remember the seat, the back of the seat snapping in half, and I got pushed through the intersection while there was cars going through the intersection. Oh, you were very lucky. Yeah, I, I was... I, uh, but I was in such shell shock afterwards. I walked to a payphone when they were still out there. Um, it was the early nineties, and I called my grandmother up because it was her car that I was borrowing since mine was in the shop. And I just said, "Hi, uh, I was in a car accident. I think your car's totaled. I gotta go." And I just hung up on her. And she she had to call. She called every hospital within like a twenty mile radius to try to figure out where I was. Oh, it was. So, uh, so maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm channeling that when I hear Route 22 a little bit, but I still love the song. Hi, thank you. <laughs> and A New Light, I kind of, uh, I really like that song because I get that, oh, I get that Jersey Shore kind of vibe a little bit, but, but there's also almost like a Jimmy Buffett kind of feel to it musically. And there's some beautiful harmonies and it's, it's my favorite song on the album. Thank you. Uh, well, it has a kind of Calypso feel to it, which maybe, you know, brings Jimmy Buffett to mind. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't thinking of Jimmy Buffett, but I can see what you're saying. So, and uh, I was just uh, finishing up the album and at the tail end. I wrote that one and I just kind of had a good feeling about it. And I said, hey, let's, let's try to throw this one together and see what happens. And, so it made the grade and we put it on there. 
when people buy the album and uh, after this, you know, I want definitely want you to tell us where people can get the album. I mean, I'm looking at the list. There's 18 songs on it. Um, Circles. I like Circles has a really cool 60s psychedelic sound to it. Um, uh, well, let, let me just say this real quick. Yeah. Pop Circles, the album, is the first 12 songs. This is a little tricky. I, I, this was an experiment. I was working on an EP that was separate, which were songs that I had written uh, for the Doughboys. And at one point I was going to mix them in with the album. Then I decided to keep them separate. And then I thought, all right, I'll just put those at the end of Pop Circles. So Pop Circles is 12 songs long. Okay. And then tracks 13 through 17 is the EP called Richie's Three Chord Garage, which are like... The uh, Doughboy songs, including Route 22 that we discussed. And then there's a reprise and a remix and a, a, an extended mix of the first song, Guess You Had to Be There. Yeah, which that's really cool. I like what it, you added to that, the, the, the uh, sa- speech samples. Yeah, I, I wanted to go through the entire decade of the 60s in about one minute, which was very challenging. I wanted to. <laughs> encapsulate that decade which had such an impact on me and you know a lot of people when they think of the 60s now they they think more about the psychedelic 60s or the the post-beatles 60s right which bled into the early 70s but i wanted to celebrate the actual decade from 1960 when kennedy came into office until 1969 when we landed on the moon and Woodstock. So I, I just went through my memory first of what were the iconic touchstones of that period. And it was very difficult, but uh, I think I found sort of, you know, some, some key moments that evoke that whole decade in less than a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And it's, it's, I just wanted to say that um, that's the mix that's used on the video for the song that's on YouTube. Oh, okay, okay. So people can check that out. The album is the happiest, most positive-sounding album I've heard all year. Oh, that's nice. It's great music for the summer. It's just to cruise around, listening to this. I, I could I could definitely see myself doing that. Is that. Was that intentional just to keep everything upbeat, or is, it just, is that just the way you write music? Uh, I think it's just a combination of influences ends up sounding like that because I don't think joyful or sorrowful or I just write the songs as I feel them coming out and then I record them, you know, and it's in a way up to the listener to, to get what they want out of it. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? It's like once you put, music out in the world, then the listener has to take some responsibility and say, okay, what is this music saying to me? That's the point. Yeah. So, um, I am too close to it. The, The one thing I don't do that some people may think I would do is, you know, I, I never really think, okay, I want to try to sound like this. I don't want, I want it to be sort of like the Beatles here. I want to sound like the birds. It just, it comes out that way sometimes, but that's just because I grew up with that music. Yeah. But I'm really writing about the way it makes me feel emotionally more than 
you know, these iconic groups that, that were popular when I was young. Well, you did a great job evoking some of the sounds of the 60s with some of these amazing, it's, I guess it's like 12-string solos, sounding yeah, like, like Roger McGuinn. Yeah, I used to, the Rickenbacker 12-string, I have a 67 12-string. <laughs> I used to have a collection of Rickenbacker 12s, and oh. I sold them all off. I had ones that were older, like going back to 65, 66, but wow. this... This particular one, the 67, just played really nice, and it had the most chimey sound of all of them. So I kept that one when I, you know, got into credit card debt at one point. I had to sell up, like a lot of people will have to I, do. You know? Yeah, I know that feeling. I lost a lot of things I wish I could retrieve, but they're gone. So anyway, I got the one Rickenbacker 12, and this is the first album that I've used it this prominently. Yeah, you know, I would just kind of pick it up and say, I'm going to go for the 12 string for the lead guitar on this one, just because it just was there and it just felt like that's what it should be. And recording this album, did you have a, a more of a band feel to it that people coming in to play or did you do everything yourself again? No, I laid down the drums first, like I said, and then I brought it home. The big difference was I decided to have Nancy play bass. I played it on about five songs but Nancy plays bass on most of the album. Oh, great. And the reason for that is she's a really good bass player. And she gets, a, to me, a better sound on the recordings than I do. I just like, she plays with a pick. And I play with my fingers. Oh, okay. okay. And so she gets a different tone. And, and I just like the way it, it sounds when she records. So we, we work on the parts together. And then uh, she lays it down. Now, one of the musical difference of this album was I, I was kind of getting more into syncopation with the grooves on the drums so that the bass could be a little more in a funky kind of Motown you know, fashion. So that was interesting. Uh, we're both big Motown lovers. So the bass player on a lot of that stuff was a guy named James Jamerson. And so we listened to the lot and we're trying to evoke some of that feeling, even on the pop songs. It's subtle. But if you listen carefully to Guess You Had to Be There or If You're So Inclined or uh, A New Light even, you'll hear the bass is kind of playing in a kind of a, sort of a Motown-ish style against the pop, more poppy song. Oh, okay. I've just been enjoying it for for like two weeks now. And where can people find it, pick it up, and and enjoy it like I've been able to? Well, I would say Scott number one should be the website, richardxhaman.com. And that is, my middle name is the letter X. It's my real middle name. It's on my birth certificate. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's not made up. And my last name is spelled H-E-Y-M-A-N, as in Heyman. So it's richardxheyman.com. And they can purchase that record and all my other records there. 
and this is my 13th full length album. So there's a lot of stuff, but I would say start, start here and work your way back. Yeah. I would say that that's probably a good idea. And the extra songs is, is that an EP that they can, that can be picked up on your website as well? Yeah, they're all there and it's on the physical CD as well. Oh, fantastic. Is so there- that's, that's stop number one. And then of course, you know, the other music sellers that, carry rock albums all have it cd baby amazon you name it they'll all have it oh great but but the website probably is my first choice to tell people about is there <laughs> social media that people can follow you uh are you gonna be touring to support this album no plans right now i'm, I'm performing more with the doughboys okay we have a whole separate career going with our <laughs> garage rock that takes up a lot of my time and, and uh, yeah, I just haven't had the inclination to like put together a live thing right now. I'm just hoping people get into the recorded work and, and appreciate that for what it is. Are there any I'm social media accounts like Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, where they can follow you and or the Doughboys? Yeah, well, yeah, on Facebook for sure. Okay. Not a huge Facebook person, but we, <laughs> I'm not a, a total internet Wizards. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard, thank you so much for coming on. I've taken up a lot of your evening tonight. I really do appreciate spending so much time with me and, and talking about the album because it's been oh, it's totally my pleasure. I, I, and I really appreciate that you uh, got inside the album. It sounds like you really listened to it. And oh, I, 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 it I means have, a lot to me. I've been enjoying it. I'm going to, I'm going to recommend it to my brother, especially because this is the sound that he loves and uh, a lot of my other friends and I'm going to make them buy it. So I'm so happy that you like uh, that song in a new light. Oh, it's my favorite on the album. It's, it's, that's one of my big favorites. I was very uh, happy that that got included. Oh yeah. And, uh, and on the EP, I like land. That's got a good Rocky, rockier feel to it. Yeah, well, that's because like those songs were written for the garage rock style of the Doughboy. So I was trying to, you know, channel a little Stonesiness, which I don't normally do in my solo stuff. So you got a little bit of that Stonesy groove. Yeah, and, definitely. And you know, with my more melodic pop sensibilities mixed in there, so that's where those songs ended up being. Well, it's fantastic, and I am anxious to hear what you do next because as you're getting further on in your career, you're just doing more and more. So it, it's, it's amazing to me. I, I'm, it's, it's, it's an inspiration to, for me doing this podcast and Hey, I can, I got to keep doing it. <laughs> you got to. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you made it past, uh, route 22. And, uh, <laughs> me too. To do your podcast. That's, that's good. Well, thank you so much. Well, I had a blast. I actually got to go walk a dog too. So, It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.